Ventil advocated a method of reasoning by presupposition. That method is tied directly to the reform system of doctrine that we surveyed earlier, the doctrine of God, man, Christ, and salvation. That method also takes as its starting point the reformed Trinitarianism and federalism of the creator-creature relation. And so the thing to remember as we begin to orient ourselves to Ventil's method of reasoning by presupposition is that the method itself, according to Van Til himself, is an organic extension of Reformed Trinitarianism and Covenant theology. It's that system that we're seeking to defend. Van Til, in his Christian Apologetics, page 61, makes explicit the connection between starting point method and argument by presupposition. He says this. He says, A consistently Christian method of apologetic argument, in agreement with its own basic conception of the starting point, must be by presupposition. To argue by presupposition is to indicate what are the epistemological, and metaphysical principles that underlie and control one's method. And so, notice Van Til draws a seamless connection between the starting point of Reformed Trinitarian theology, Reformed Covenant theology on the one side, and everything we talked about in the previous lecture, and the method of reasoning by presupposition on the other side. The starting point bears decisively and organically on the apologetical method. And part of the reason why it's so critical to retain Van Til's language of the method of reasoning by presupposition is that by presupposition and by a method of reasoning by presupposition, he says we have to make explicit from the outset the metaphysical principles and the epistemological principles that together now feed the method by which we reason. The apologist ought always, according to Van Til, to present the natural and supernatural revelation of God in their organic and symbiotic relation, ought to always remember that the starting point in image of God and the census divinitatis is never to be artificially segregated from the special terms of God's covenantal revelation, whether before or after the fall. But this leads Van Til to lay bare now what are the epistemological and metaphysical principles that underlie a method of reasoning by presupposition. What are the metaphysical and epistemological principles. Well, the connection between presupposition and the method of reasoning with the unbeliever and the metaphysical principles uh, needs to be understood very clearly. Van Til uses the language metaphysical principles as a restatement of the doctrine of God that we surveyed earlier. He does not advocate some pre-theological metaphysic 
that we can share with the unbeliever in terms of which we then reason. For Van Til, the chief metaphysical principle, if I could put it in summary terms in light of our previous uh, lecture, the chief metaphysical principle is the self-contained trinity. As Van Til says in so many places, the ontological trinity is our interpretive concept everywhere. Uh, he's very clear about this. Immediately relating metaphysical principle to method and making clear what that metaphysical principle is, he says this, the Reformed apologist will frankly admit that his own methodology presupposes the truth of Christian theism. Basic to the doctrines of Christian theism is that of the self-contained God, or if we wish, that of the ontological trinity. I'll pause the quote right there. So I put the self-contained trinity. That, that's the metaphysical principle, the chief feature in the apologetic. The ultimate reality in back of the method is the ontological trinity. He goes on to say, it is this notion of the ontological trinity that ultimately controls a Christian methodology. Based upon the notion of the ontological trinity and consistent with it is the concept of the counsel of God according to which all things in the created world are regulated. Christian methodology is therefore based on presuppositions that are quite the opposite of the non-Christian. So we have to appreciate this. I said it earlier, I'm going to put it a little bit differently. By metaphysical principle, Van Til means the revelation of the triune God. Uh, the metaphysical principle is not a Greek abstract conception. It's not a modern abstract conception. It is the self-contained ontological trinity who has revealed himself comprehensively in one grand scheme of covenantal revelation. And when Van Til uses that language, uh, self-contained, I don't know if I've defined that as thoroughly as we could in other modules, but when we're talking about self-contained, and Van Til uses that, um, what he means by that is that God remains in relation to the created order without modification, the simple, independent, and immutable triune God. Uh, it, it, to put it a different way, the ontological trinity relates to the world without self-limitation, self-modification, or self-generated change. The economic trinity, God in relation to creation, is the self-same ontological trinity in relation to creation. And so when Van Til's talking about self-contained and you're wondering, should I use that language? That, that phrase, self-contained, is a capsule term. You should think of it that way. It's a capsule term. It's a term that includes 
infinite, eternal, unchangeable, simple in his relation to creation. That's Van Til's concern. And so this unqualified doctrine of immutability and simplicity, this unqualified affirmation that God remains who he is in relation to creation, what he was apart from it, that's foundational to Van Til's metaphysical principle. So chief or central is this doctrine of the ontological trinity. Now, let me say something in addition to this. Uh, Not only when we're talking about the ontological trinity, we're talking about the being of that ontological trinity. We're also talking about the knowledge of that ontological trinity. When we have a, a Reformed method of reasoning by presupposition and we're talking about metaphysical principles, the, the second chief feature Van Til's going to, to add besides the being of the self-contained trinity is that knowledge of the self-contained trinity. And it would be a nice lecture in and of itself to talk about Van Til's doctrine of the natural and free knowledge of God. But let me just put it in a basic way for the purposes of this course. The triune God has exhaustive and definite foreknowledge of all things created. Neither God's being nor God's knowledge develop over time. This is critical to maintain. Whether we're talking about the natural knowledge of God, which is God's knowledge of himself, or the free knowledge of God, which is God's knowledge of all things possible and actual in the created order, the the key to maintain is that if God is self-contained and simple in his being, He is self-contained and simple in his knowledge, both of himself and of the created order. Uh, To put it a different way, what holds true of God in his being holds true of God in his knowledge. God is immutable in his being. He's immutable in his knowledge. And whether that knowledge is necessary or free, Van Til insists this, and this is a quote uh, from Defense of the Faith, page 53. Listen. It should be noted that only if we hold to the coterminity of the being and the consciousness of God can we avoid pantheism. Now, I'm going to pause before I give you the rest of that quote. Do you remember the definition of pantheism as it's used by Voss, Bavink, and Van Til? Let me tell you what it's not. There's a crass form of pantheism, a kind of textbook form that says that all things are God without meaningful distinction. That's a standard textbook way of talking about a certain species of what we might call strong pantheism. But when Van Til, following Voss especially, uses pantheism, what he means is very easy to understand. That God and the creature share in or participate in development through time. And what Van Til's wanting us to recognize is this, that if God's being develops over time, 
if he adds properties to himself over time, then God's knowledge will add data and develop over time. And if that happens, if God develops in his being and knowledge through time, he shares the same mode of being and the same mode of knowing as the creature. Development in being, growth in knowledge. That would be pantheism, as Van Til defines it. So I'll read that quote. I'll start again, read that quote, and then finish it. He says, it should be noted that it is only if we hold to the coterminity of the being and the consciousness of God that we can avoid pantheism. If knowledge and being are not identical in God as pertaining to himself, he is made dependent on something that exists beside himself. In that case, the consciousness of God is made to depend upon temporal reality, and then the being of God is in turn made to depend on temporal reality. That's the end of the quote from Van Til. Now, the reason why that's so important for us to recognize is that Van Til's affirming the doctrine of divine simplicity here. God is not made up of two parts. One part being, one part knowledge equals God. And Van Til's wanting to say further that what we predicate of the being of God, we predicate of the knowledge of God due specifically to his divine simplicity. His being cannot be compartmentalized or turned into parts, and his knowledge cannot be compartmentalized and turned into parts. Neither is developmental moving from potential to actual. Van Til then extends it this way. This is still on page 53 of the first edition of the Defense of the Faith. He says, If we introduce time or succession of moments into the consciousness of God, in order that we may understand how God is related to time, we have to ask ourselves in turn how the consciousness of God is related to the being of God. Thus, we should have to introduce succession of moments into the being of God for the same reason we have introduced it into the consciousness of God. Now, just to make an application here, and you have to appreciate this, the connection between the self-contained Trinity in his being and knowledge and the method of reasoning by presupposition. Let me put it as directly as I know how. If you introduce succession into God through a second mode of existence, through newly assumed properties, or participating in a third time, or any other mutualist construction, Van Til's argument is that as goes the being of God in development, so goes the knowledge of God in development, and he sees a fundamental capitulation to something analogous to the absolute of idealism or to Barth's conception of God always existing in mutual dependence upon the creature in the Christ event. Van Til insists then that God relates to creation without change 
in both his being and his knowledge. God's simplicity will not allow us to posit some developmental feature in God's knowledge without also positing some developmental feature in God's being. And if God's being and God's knowledge are in process, we have denied the creator-creature distinction from the outset. And what is the metaphysical principle? It is what we saw earlier, the fundamental distinction between the immutable triune creator and the mutable dependent creature. They do not share a developmental mode of being. They do not share a developmental mode of knowing at any point. So God's being and knowledge are infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And because of that, he not only controls, but knows in advance with definite and exhaustive foreknowledge whatsoever comes to pass. It is this immutable triune creator, immutable in his being, immutable in his knowledge, it is this triune creator who reveals himself to the creature. And when he does, he reveals himself with absolute self-authenticating authority. This lies at the heart of a method of reasoning by presupposition. A God self-contained in his triune identity who does not change in being or knowledge. Now, once we affirm that principle, we are at the heart of what Van Til calls the metaphysical principle that underlies the method. So, to admit this, to acknowledge this, is to be reformed in your theology of the Trinity and to be reformed in confessing your basic metaphysical pre-commitment. But now secondly, and this is really important, I'm going to draw this, I drew a small one over here to illustrate it, but on the epistemological principle, we've had this up earlier, what we have to recognize here is that the epistemological principle, if the metaphysical principle is classical Reformed Trinitarianism the metaphysical principle very unsurprising the epistemological principle very unsurprisingly is going to be classical reformed federalism and if you remember from the a book on Van Til's Trinitarian theology, his entire approach is the integration of Trini- reform, classical reform Trinitarianism, classical reform federalism. So added to this metaphysical principle is the epistemological principle of God in covenantal fellowship with image-bearing Adam. We talked about this in the previous lecture. We have spent extensive time on it in the doctrine of Revelation. One grand scheme of covenantal revelation to God from God to Adam before the fall uh, means now that this God 
speaks with absolute authority in history and reveals himself in nature and in covenant. And as I've said before, this is something that neither classical Roman Catholic, traditional Roman Catholic, or modern Bardian theology can affirm. So when we think about this, we have to recognize that the epistemological and the metaphysical are simply the restatement of the system of Reformed theology. It's the restatement of the creator-creature relation in philosophical terms in order to make a point of linguistic contact with the unbeliever. So what does this method of reasoning by presupposition uh, amount to? Well, the method itself now begins with a frank recognition of precisely what sort of God we confess and of precisely how he reveals himself to creatures in special creation and in the covenant of works. I don't know how to emphasize this enough, but we're arguing for something definite, something distinctive, something inherently reformed, a well-worn path of distinctive reformed theology. That's what's underlying this method of reasoning by presupposition. It's not Roman Catholic. It's not modern uh, Bardian theology. To put it in a very terse form, the metaphysical and epistemological principles that we begin with in the method of reasoning by presupposition begins in what we will call revelation. Van Til called it a revelational epistemology. A revelational epistemology, the very first page in the survey of Christian epistemology. A method of reasoning by presupposition will take the revealed truth of the Trinity, the revealed character of the image and covenant, and will appeal to that as a concentrated or concatenated system. It is Christian theism with which we begin. And so Van Til says, and this is our first main concept when we talk about this method of reasoning by presupposition, he said, a revelational epistemology um, in the nature of the case growing out of this will be indirect rather than direct. It is an indirect method. Now, this is going to take a little bit of time to explain, and I want to take uh, caution to make it as clear as we can. The method of reasoning by presupposition must be indirect rather than direct for at least two main reasons. First, the revealed, the revealed metaphysical and epistemological principles of Christian theism Classical Reformed Trinitarianism, Classical Reformed Federalism, 
These supply the metaphysical and epistemological principles behind our method. So the Christian method, the Reformed method, is rooted in revelation. Secondly, and related to this, these revealed metaphysical and epistemological principles stand in antithesis to the espoused presuppositions and principles of the unbeliever. There is a presuppositional conflict rooted in an ethical antithesis given the fall. A presuppositional conflict grows out of an ethical antithesis given the fall. And this means, as Van Til says, that the method of reasoning by presupposition, quote, may be said to be indirect rather than direct. The issue, he goes on, between believers and non-believers in Christian theism cannot be settled by a direct appeal to facts or laws whose nature and significance is already agreed upon by both parties to the debate. The question is rather as to what is the final reference point required to make the facts and the laws intelligible. The question is as to what the facts and laws really are. Are they what the non-Christian methodology assumes they are? Or are they what the Christian theistic methodology presupposes they are? The debate is not endlessly about the interpretation of fact and law, but about the nature and intelligibility of those facts and laws, about the very possibility for the condition that they are intelligible. Van Til says something that's obvious if you hold to total depravity, if you hold to a reformed doctrine of original sin, if you hold to the corruption of the whole nature and the antithesis that's taught in Romans 8, 7, and 8. He says that there is no already agreed upon understanding of facts. Why? Well, let, 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 ask this question. What is a given fact, a state of affairs in the world, whatever it is? A fact is usually described as a state of affairs. What is a given fact, any given fact? It is something, according to Reformed theology, that the triune God eternally foreordained, that the triune God exhaustively foreknew, and that the triune God sovereignly originated in the work of creation. The perfect knowledge, eternal plan, and creative power of the triune God give the created facts their meaning from their derived alpha point to their consummate omega point and everywhere in between. In this sense, Van Til says, the immutable triune God provides, quote, the final reference point, end quote, for the intelligible relations among created facts and laws. Now, here's the question. What unbelieving system of thought grants that? None grant it. 
That is why Van Til says there is an antithesis as to what the facts and laws are. Van Til maintains then that the issue between believers and unbelievers cannot be settled by direct appeals to facts or laws commonly agreed upon. Because if they're commonly agreed upon, either the unbeliever is denying his presuppositions or the Christian is denying his. You see, Van Til, to put it a little differently, says that there is an antithesis between believers and non-believers because the metaphysical and the epistemological principles of the Christian system are rooted in revelation. They don't arise from reason. They're not rooted in brute experience. They're not illustrative of pragmatic utility. The metaphysical and epistemological principles of the Christian religion are given by revelation. Van Til, Survey of Christian Epistemology, a revelational metaphysic, a revelational epistemology. But the unbeliever, whatever he might espouse about the real, about the knowable, and about the good, will not grant the truth of Christian theism understood in the system of Reformed theology. What will he put in its place? Let me be. Uh, let, let me help you see this. Reformed Trinitarian Federalism versus front and back door mutualism. That's the nature of this contrast. It is an antithesis between these two views. What are some options that are going to be put in the place of this revealed metaphysical? an epistemological worldview. What's, what, what are some? Well, in place of classical reform, Trinitarianism, and federalism, we might have a form-matter scheme. A form-matter scheme. That would be Greek in character of a Platonic or Aristotelian variety. We might have a nature freedom scheme that would be found in the work of Immanuel Kant. A dimensionalist scheme that says you need natural reason, theoretical reason to access phenomena. You need practical reason to access noumena. But on neither of these, in neither of these, is reason subordinated to the revelation of the triune God understood covenantally and in light of natural revelation? Um, you could have, as, a, as perhaps a third option, you could have a developmental, developmental concrete universal. That would be Hegel, where you take eternity and time join them together in a process of development incorporating eternity and time into one dynamic and evolving reality. You might have some form, I'll just put it right here on this other side here, you might have some form of, of um, I'll just call it some form of neo-pragmatism. 
Neo-pragmatism. Um, Richard Rorty comes to mind there. And what is Richard Rorty and the neo-pragmatic tradition saying? They're saying, stop trying to find the distinctions between form and matter with uh, some agent intellect abstracting things that can be known universally. Stop thinking in terms of these uh, pseudo-metaphysical schemes of Kant and, and uh, trying to find what is uh, beyond the realm of nature. Is it knowable? Don't think in terms of those old outmoded Hegelian categories. Just recognize that we're trying to acclimate to our environment using language and experimentation. And there is no ultimate truth that we're seeking to understand. Uh, what, what, in other words, these contrasting paradigms of espoused presuppositions, we're going to call these now espoused metaphysical and epistemological principles, espoused presuppositions, espoused metaphysical and epistemological presuppositions. They will shape, please hear this, they will shape what will count as a fact as well as what that fact might mean in relation to other facts. If it's a form-matter scheme, what does a fact in our experience tell you if you're Plato? It tells you there has to be a form world of which a particular fact is an instantiation and in which it participates. A kind of abstract um, uh, 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 matter-form scheme or a... Uh, an idealist structure. If you're Kantian, what does the fact of your uh, experience in analytical and logical and quantitative categories tell you? It tells you that you can only know phenomena. You can't know God, certainly not by theoretical reason. If you're a Hegelian, what does the fact of change tell you? It tells you that all things eternal and temporal, are in one dynamic process of development. And so the change in the world of, of uh, perceptions points you to an ideal world, if you're Plato. The use of reason in phenomena tells you that you can only know phenomena. There's no rationally accessible noumena. If it's Hegel, change tells you all things are developing. And if you're a neo-pragmatist, you've given up on a universal account of anything. Van Til recognizes all, please hear this, all espoused epistemological presuppositions, all of them, make claims about the nature of the real, the knowable, and the good, and decisively shape the real, the knowable, and the good. So Ventil's emphasis on, compre on a comprehensive contrast here between various forms of front and backdoor mutualism, whether it's a form-matter scheme of the Greeks, nature-freedom scheme of the Enlightenment, a developmental uh, absolute of, of Hegel, neo-pragmatism, that is set in a systematic contrast to Reformed Trinitarianism and Reformed Federalism, a system of Reformed theology. Now, this, this, this antithesis here, this antithesis that Van Til perceives, 
is not a, a concession to Kant or Enlightenment rejection of classical Reformed theology. Rather, the comprehensive contrast that he discerns and promotes stems directly from the systematic critique and systematic contrast between the Reformed system of theology and all that it opposes. Van Til takes the Reformed system of theology as a comprehensive view on God, the world, and man, and sets it directly over against all forms of ancient or modern correlativism. To put the matter differently, Van Til says that Reformed theology carries with it a distinctive view of what is real, what is known, and what is good. Listen to what he says. The answer to the question cannot be finally settled by any direct discussion of facts. It must, in the last analysis, be settled indirectly. The Christian apologist must place himself on the position of his opponent, assuming the correctness of his method merely for argument's sake, in order to show him that on such a position the facts are not facts and the laws are not laws. He must also ask the non-Christian to place himself upon the Christian position for argument's sake in order to show that only on such a basis do facts and laws appear intelligible. Now what is he saying? He's saying, secondly now, in addition to noting that there is this antithesis, in addition to noting that the Christian begins with a revealed metaphysical principle, a revealed epistemological principle that's primary, the unbeliever doesn't. Van Til says the second thing that you do is that you show the consequence of reasoning in light of the unbeliever's espoused presuppositions, to show him that on such a view the facts are not facts and the laws are not laws, and then you ask him to reason consistently upon the Christian position to say only on such a view are facts facts and laws laws. What is he getting at? Why, why does he say that? Well, let me. Why, why does he talk about this indirect method of showing the the consequences of consistent unbelief and the consequences of consistent belief. Well, he, Van Til speaks of this indirect apologetical approach because he envisions always and at every point setting forth some aspect of the system of Reformed theology, whether it's the doctrine of God, creation ex nihilo, the eternal decree, the work of creation, man is the image of God, the covenant of works, Adam's fall into sin, total inability, common grace, person work of Christ, doctrine of regeneration, union with Christ, or the resurrection of the righteous for beatitude and the wicked for judgment at the end of the age. The Reformed system of theology offers a definite conception of every facet of the created order that ranges across every doctrinal locus, systematic theology, or encompasses the whole history of special revelation, if you're thinking in terms of biblical theology. And Van Til takes a pastoral approach to defending the faith because the gospel, the scriptures, make clear that the espoused presuppositions of the unbeliever lead to futility and deception, Colossians 
exhibit a darkened understanding, Ephesians 4.17, and eschews rather than embraces the wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians 1.18-20. And so the Reformed apologist is to continue to illustrate the deceptive and futile character philosophy rooted in the traditions of men resting on the elementary principles of the world in contrast to the truth as it is in the revelation of God, that after the fall climaxes in Christ and is deposited in the scriptures. Now, let me give you uh, three examples of what Van Til is getting at. I've given you some ways of thinking about what's real and knowable. Let me give you uh, three concrete examples uh, of Van Til's method of reasoning by presupposition. The first is Plato's three options. I'm going to erase... No, I'll just go over here. Um, Examples of this method of reasoning by presupposition. The first, Plato's three options. This is from the Survey of Christian Epistemology. Van Til reasons by presupposition when he speaks of Plato's three options for conceiving the relation between eternity and time and how creatures might understand that relation. Van Til argues that Plato, and I'm going to read a a fairly extensive quote here, quote, exhausted the possibilities of anti-theistic thought in the field of epistemology and utterly failed to find a solution to the problem of knowledge. Van Til observes, and here comes a fairly lengthy quote, that Plato tried to find a basis for knowledge in the sense world alone. But that was utterly impossible because there was no unity upon which, as a background, the diversity might play. And so, uh, I'll stop the quote there and just explain this. So, Van Til's saying that if Plato appeals to the sense world alone to find the unity of knowledge and to find a comprehensive system, the only thing you encounter are diverse and unrelated particulars. He goes on, Plato tried to find knowledge by seeking it in the ideal world alone. There was for Plato a fundamental diversity as well as a fundamental unity in the world of ideas. There was fundamental evil as well as fundamental good, which meant that there was really no underlying and controlling unity in the world of ideas after all. Plus, the world of ideas is totally separated from the world of experience. And so Van Til says, that was not acceptable. So what did Plato do? And this, you must understand this. This is such a helpful illustration of Van Til's method of reasoning by presupposition. Plato tried to take the world of the forms, the eternal, and the world of experience, the temporal. And he tried to join them in one dynamic unified reality. You want to talk about the king of correlativism in its early phases. It's Plato. Here it is. Listen. Sensing the problems in the first two approaches, 
Ventil says, quote, Plato tries to make the categories of time and eternity overlap. Instead of starting with two worlds which had laws of their own, which they were loath to modify, Plato now thinks of these two worlds as having always been together somehow. Plato, according to Van Til, insisted that the idea of time was as fundamental as the idea of eternity. And this amounted to saying that the idea of time is as eternal as the idea of eternity itself, or it amounts to saying that the idea of eternity is as temporal as the idea of temporality. In other words, Van Til said this leads to a complete stultification of thought. Why? Because once Plato tried to join eternity and time, once he brought them into a relation to one another, the integrity of both were lost in a third thing. Eternity became temporal, time became eternalized, and the categories that once seemed clear were destroyed in a melting union between the two. Van Til's point, even though he doesn't call it a melting union, is that Plato's synthesis of eternity and time into one reality temporalizes eternity and eternalizes time. It destroys and stultifies thought. Van Til's point is that every form of univocal thought either explicitly or implicitly presupposes eternity and time are reciprocally related aspects of a single reality. And it's going to go in one of two directions. Please hear this. This, this corresponds, by the way, I'll go take us back to front door and back door mutualism. If it's front door mutualism, eternity gets temporalized. I'll give you an example. When God, in Karl Barth's theology, relates to the humanity of Jesus Christ, where is that relation found? It's found in a third time. There is no strict, absolute, self-contained, immutable deity in Barth's theology. Why? Because when he mutualizes the relationship in what I have termed front-door mutualism in the Van Til book. Eternity is temporalized. There is no longer a meaningful distinction between the creator and the creature. They're mutually becoming in a common time, sharing a third thing. But if you turn it around and take the classical Roman Catholic doctrine of deifying grace, what happens to man who is a creature outside of God by virtue of creation? By ontologically reproportioning grace, he is elevated above his created nature to participate in the immutable essence of God directly and without mediation in the light of glory. I'll talk about that later. But that's backdoor mutualism, where time is eternalized. Van Til is saying that Plato had already exhausted all of these possibilities. This is ultimately an indirect approach. 
Now, I've already cited Bard. I'm going to explain him just a little bit more, but I want to cite one modern example because this needs to be said. There are um, some, I'm not even going to say the number is growing because the evidence is so strong to the contrary, but there have been those uh, in the 50s through and up to the past decade, maybe even into this decade, who have argued that Van Til was an absolute idealist or an idealist of some sort. Um, let me give you an example of Van Til's indirect method of reasoning by presupposition with absolute idealism. As many of you may know, Van Til did his doctoral work on absolute idealism. And the central thesis of idealism, you must hear this, you have to understand this. The central thesis of absolute idealism is that the absolute exists in a reciprocal relation to historical particulars as both develop together in a dialectical relation through time. A thesis, antithesis, synthesis movement is a dynamic reciprocal relation between the eternal absolute and the historical particular. Van Til's central claim is that this absolute of idealism, whether it's German, British, or American, reduces to pragmatism. He writes, quote, In metaphysics, theism has an absolute God and a temporal creation while pragmatism has no absolute God and no temporal creation, but a space-time universe in which God and man are correlatives. End of quote. In absolute idealism, Van Til argues that the, the, the eternal principle, we'll call it God, and the temporal principle, we'll call it man, are correlatives who are together evolving, developing, and moving toward a unified end. If that's the case, Ventil says, absolute idealism is no different than pragmatism. Neither of them maintain an absolute God and a temporal creation. And I just will remind you of this, that and, and I think this brings us kind of back full circle to Plato and also indirectly in, invokes um, the problems that we would see in traditional Roman Catholic theology. Van Til said that Karl Barth and the dialectical theologians embraced the really contradictory because they reduced divine and human beings into a single mode of correlative existence in the Christ event. Uh, as I just said a moment ago, God changes. God dynamically relates in time as constituted by time, as being conditioned by time. He relates as conditioned by time to the humanity of Jesus in the Christ event. And so the humanity of Jesus participates in the essence of God, and God participates in the becoming of man. 
Van Til says this, and this is one of his more uh, incisive quotes. He says, The idea of identifying man's being with his participation in an act of God saving him is really only the modern equivalent of the Greek notion of identifying man with his participation in the changeless being of God. So let me say this. The presuppositional method sets the immutable and living triune creator in his sovereignly willed relation to creation in covenant, to Adam in covenant, over against all forms of ancient and contemporary forms of correlativism, whether it's Plato's three options, absolute idealism, Bardian dialecticism, or even traditional Roman Catholicism, backdoor mutualism. All forms of correlativism would eviscerate the integrity of the creator-creature distinction by either making the creator change to participate in the mode of the creature or by elevating the creature to participate in the mode of the creator. Whether front door or back door correlativism, the problem remains the same. Reasoning by presupposition in light of the system of Reformed theology insists that all forms of correlativism cannot account for human experience in terms of what is real, knowable, and good. And so Van Til says this, the the best and only possible proof for the existence of such a God is that his existence is required for the uniformity of nature and the coherence of all things in the world. We cannot prove the existence of beams underneath a floor if by proof we mean that they must be ascertainable in the way that we can see the chairs and tables in the room. But the very idea of a floor as the support of tables and chairs requires the idea of beams that are underneath. But there would be no floor if no beams were underneath. Thus, there is absolutely certain proof for the existence of God and the truth of Christian theism. Every non-Christian presupposes its truth while they verbally reject it. They need to presuppose the truth of Christian theism in order to account for their own accomplishments. Now, while not saying everything about this method, I hope you recognize that when it comes to comprehensive options, I didn't put them over here, um, but Plato's three options, absolute idealism as an example of a philosophical alternative to Reformed theology, and just to throw it in for good measure, Bart and the different religion of the deeper modernist conception, all three of these, ancient Greek, post-Enlightenment philosophical, and so-called contemporary um, Christian, uh, all three of them unite in a form of correlativism that, if is true, would entail that there is no self-contained ontological trinity who reveals himself either in nature or in grace. And in so doing, you are thrown back onto some permutation, some form, ancient, medieval, or modern, a front and backdoor mutualism that proves internally self-destructive. And so Van Til 
wants to ask the non-Christian after this, after he sees the, um, the, the, the problems in these views, wants to ask him to put himself on the place, in the place of the Reformed Christian. And the Reformed metaphysical and epistemological principles in order that he may be shown, quote, that only upon such a basis do facts and laws appear intelligible. Now, I want to alert you to this, that this is a summary sketch of what Van Til said. I'm going to do more on method, especially, uh, from Acts 17, later in this module, and I'm going to do more from Colossians 1, 15 through 2, 8. I'll be making more references to Van Til, also bringing in some other uh, great presuppositional thinkers like Greg Bonson. But what I'm trying to help you to see right now is that this method of reasoning by presupposition is a comprehensive method because of the nature of the Reformed theology that we're seeking to uh, defend. Now, let us, as 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 we think about this, then let this systematic antithesis. This comprehensive difference at the level of worldview sink in for a moment as I leave you with this thought, that the method of reasoning by presupposition, the content of the presupposition in terms of which we're reasoning, are the revealed metaphysical, the revealed epistemological principles that stand antithetically over against all forms of ancient and modern correlativism. This is the most comprehensive method of reasoning with unbelief because it can range from Plato to absolute idealists to Bart to backdoor mutualism of, of, of Roman Catholicism and all of these other permutations that I mentioned earlier. This is a comprehensive, what we'll call later, a truly transcendental critique of the most basic presuppositions that oppose the Christian world and life view. And Van Til says then that our reasoning with unbelievers needs to be indirect rather than direct. Indirect to show the consequences of consistently applied unbelief, but then direct by way of proclamation and setting forth the system of Reformed theology, from the doctrine of God, to the doctrine of man, to the doctrine of Christ, to the doctrine of salvation, to the doctrine of last things, as an integrated comprehensive system of Reformed Trinitarianism and Federalism.